Hey, this is Joe Williams, and I'm the lead pastor at New Life Christian Church in Bella Vista, Arkansas. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. Whether you're a seasoned follower of Christ or just now beginning to explore what being a Christian is all about, our prayer is that this message would strengthen your faith. Now sit back and let's open up the Bible and see what God has to say this week. Hey, good morning. Welcome to New Life Christian Church. So glad you're here today. If you brought a Bible with you, please turn over to James chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today, and you can also use the Bibles in the racks in front of you. Um, We have couple different kinds of Bibles, different page numbers. I'll just give you the page numbers, but uh, they're different. So, but just look at the table of contents if you need to find the book of James. And as always, all the scriptures will be presented behind me on the screens uh, as well. Hey, what do you guys think of this new stage design? That looks pretty good, huh? Can you believe we went over to Mount Ararat, found Noah's Ark, and brought back some of the lumber? We did all that in a week? So, no, I'm, no just in case you're, we didn't do that, just in case you're wondering. Hey, as you find James chapter 1, let me uh, tell you about a reality television show that was on TV years and years and years ago, long, long time ago. I'm thinking uh, around 2001, 2002, sometime back then. Uh, Fox Network is the one that was responsible for this reality show. And when this reality show came out, it was marred in massive controversy. And when I tell you which one it is, you'll, you'll know why there was so much controversy surrounding it. There were groups rising up that wanted to, you know, uh, put a stop to this, and it's for very good reason. But uh, there was tons of hype, tons of hype and a lot of discussion about this reality show. The reality show that I'm talking about was called Temptation Island. Now, I never saw it myself, nor will I ever watch it because I don't even care to. I'm not going to, I don't want to watch the garbage. But Temptation Island was this unscripted reality television series where four couples agreed to go down to a small island in the Caribbean You know, one of those islands where it's just picturesque and romantic and one of those kind of places. And they would go there, and on the first day they get to the island, they're introduced to all of these eligible, really good-looking single people. And then they would separate the couples, and they wouldn't come back together till the very end of their stay there on the island. And the whole object of this reality show was this. For the four couples that agreed to do this, They wanted to see if their love was strong enough that they could overcome this temptation. Now, for the couple or for the singles, their objective was to see if they could tempt these couples to being unfaithful to their partners. You can see why this show was so controversial, right? I mean, it's just just garbage. I can't imagine why anybody would subject themselves to doing that. But I'll tell you, there was a real hunger for it because the day this was released... 16 million people watched the pilot episode, and at that time, that was the largest audience for a reality show being released on a Wednesday. Like I said, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody want to be a part of something like that? And the truth is this, we're all subjected to temptation every day. You know that, right? But, but we don't live on a temptation island. I think we live on temptation planet. I think everywhere you look, there is temptation. It's all around us. There isn't a day that goes by that we are not subjected to some kind of temptation. We don't have to hunt for it. We don't have to look far and wide. Temptation is just all around us. And and temptation is packaged in a variety of different ways. I mean, 
We're tempted, if we wanted to, we're tempted to cheat every single day. We're tempted to lie. We're tempted to gossip. We're tempted to hold grudges. We're tempted to steal. We're tempted to think impure thoughts. We're tempted to act on those impure thoughts. We're tempted to watch certain channels longer than we know we should. And we are tempted to click on links that we know we have no business clicking. We're tempted to not give God our best. We're tempted in a whole lot of ways. And as you can imagine, (coughs) the Bible is not silent when it comes to the subject of temptation. We read how temptation first reared its ugly head almost in the very first pages of the Bible when in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were tempted to eat the fruit that God told them not to eat. So don't eat the fruit from that tree. And they did, and they introduced sin into the world. And from that time on, the Bible is just chocked full of example after example after example of people who, when they were faced with temptation, absolutely failed and crashed and burned. You're not too deep into the Bible where you're introduced to a man named Achan. Achan was an Israelite, and Achan, along with the rest of the Israelites, were supposed to move into the promised land. And God gives the Israelites the city of Jericho. This is the city where they marched around it and the walls fell down, that city. And God said, don't take anything. Don't, don't go in there and take anything. But Achan, he, he saw all of these riches and, all, and he just could not resist it. So he took a little bit from himself. He didn't think anybody would notice. And he certainly didn't think anybody would miss it. And he buried it under his tent so nobody would know. Well, the very next battle, the Bible tells us the Israelites got whooped. And they're like, what in the world? How did we get beat so badly? Well, God didn't go with them in that battle. Why not? Because there was sin in the camp. And so as they began to dig and, and they found out Achan had done this wicked thing and he had fallen into temptation and he brought destruction and doom for a season on the, on the Israelites. If you were to read 2 Kings chapter 5, you're going to come across a man that you may not be all that familiar with. His name is Gehazi. And Gehazi was somebody that traveled and, and watched the ministry of the prophet Elisha. And we know that Gehazi, he watched all kinds of miracles done by Elisha. Well, there was this one instance where a man named Naaman came to Elisha because he had leprosy. And and Elisha healed him of his leprosy. And so Naaman, he goes, let me pay you for this miracle. You did this great thing for me. Let me give you all this stuff. And Elijah was like, no, 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 you're not going to pay me. Just have a nice day. That was kind of the gist of it. And so then Naaman leaves. He goes home, gets in his chariots and goes. Well, this guy that was with Elijah, his name is Gehazi, he was like, well, well, wait a minute. That guy's taking all this money that he was going to give us, and he's going to take it. And so when Elijah is busy doing something else, Gehazi travels down the road and catches up with Naaman. He says, actually, you do need to pay. And so still very grateful. Naaman pays him some money, gives him some clothes. And the problem is you can't hide stuff from God. Elijah knew what he'd done. And so when he confronted him on it, he said, you know what your punishment's going to be? The leprosy that I healed Naaman from, now you got it. And so he had leprosy because of that. I'm going to tell you, because he could not resist temptation. Many of us are familiar with the follies of King David. They're well documented in multiple places in the Bible. But King David, he fell into temptation. He took another man's wife. He fathered an illegitimate child. And in the end, he committed murder to try to cover it up. 
That wasn't the only time David fell into temptation, although he was restored and forgiven, and that's the good news of the story, but that's not the only time he fell into temptation. David wrestled with pride from time to time, and there was this time in the Bible that we read about how, how David wanted to take a census of the entire kingdom, even though God said, you don't need to do that, don't do that. But David's like, I'm going to do it. And he took this census, and against the objections of his advisors, and against what God told him not to do, and the result, 70,000 people died. Because he couldn't say no. Because he couldn't withstand the temptation to partake and to think a certain way. There's another prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Balaam. Balaam was not a good prophet. A king one time offered Balaam a large sum of money if he would pronounce a curse on the Israelites. Well, there's a conflict of interest. A prophet of God, you want me to curse the nation? And so Balaam, instead of just immediately saying no, he's actually thinking, how can I figure this out? Where I can get some money and appease this king. Well, it's a long story, but in the end, he figured out some, some way that he could get the money from the king and, and do this to Israelites. And you can read his story. It didn't work out so well for him temptation. We read in the New Testament when the church was just getting started, a young married couple named Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some land and they wanted to give the money to the church, but they fell in temptations. Like, we're going to keep some of this for ourselves. We don't want to give it all. Even though everybody else is giving their all, and God wants us to give our all, we're not going to give our all. And so they came and they presented the gift before the disciples, and Peter's like, did you, is this all the money you got from the land? Yep, yes sir, that's, that's what we got. Boom! Drop dead. Why? Because they couldn't resist temptation. There's a guy in the New Testament, his name's Demas. He's mentioned actually three different times. He's a companion, a fellow worker with the Apostle Paul. And when you were reading 2 Timothy chapter 4, we come across Demas' name again, but only this time it's a little bit different. It's changed. See, because it tells us that, that Demas has decided to abandon the work of the ministry and abandon Paul because he loved the world too much. The temptation, the draw of what the world had to offer was just too great. And so he abandons the Apostle Paul and he follows after that. Here's something that I know about every single one of us in this room, including myself. And it's this. We've all been tempted. We've all, anybody never been tempted with anything before? Good, because I wouldn't want you to have to tempt you to lie. We've all been tempted. Here's something else I know about everybody in this room, including myself. Every last one of us has succumbed to temptation before. Every last one of us. Here's the third thing I know. Even though we're living in God's grace, forgiven, sanctified, heaven-bound, even though we live in God's grace, we are all susceptible to succumb to temptation again. I know those three things for sure. As we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study from the book of James, James has something very significant to say to the church about temptation. We learned last week that James is writing this letter to Christians who had fled Jerusalem, 
and uh, they had fled because of persecution. Now some time has gone by, enough time for the church to scatter, new churches to form and to get established, but they've taken the gospel with them. But what has not softened at all is the persecution that they are under. And so James is writing to Christians who have been suffering for quite a while um, because they're Christians. And, and so James says to them at the very beginning, we studied this last week, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that the heartbeat of that text is that, you know, God's bigger than this. God is doing something. And at the end of the day, God's intentions are not to harm you. God's intentions are to shape you. And so he uses trials as a way to shape and to help us become everything that he wants us to become. And then many would say that James changes subjects. So like the first 12 verses of James, it's all about trials. From verse 13 to 18, now we're going to talk about temptation. But the more I study this text, the more I've just come to the conclusion, this is my opinion, that I don't think James is changing subjects at all. I still think he's talking about trials. Trials of another kind. Trials that are caused in part because of temptation and temptation that are a result of trials. I, I don't believe they're 100% related, but I think they're definitely cousins. I don't think they're the same thing I mean, but I think they're related. I think he's talking about the same thing. We're talking about trials. We're talking about temptation. Now, now, you'll see what I mean when we read our text. You got verse 13 open on your lap. What I'd like to do this morning, I'd like to read our text and then I'd like to go back and kind of pick it apart. James says this next to the church. He gave him this talk on, on enduring trials, and then he says this, verse 13 of chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say this, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Why would James choose to talk about temptation immediately or alongside of his conversation about trials. Why does he do that? Here's what I think. I think sometimes when God allows us to suffer, when life gets tough, when nothing seems to go our way, it's in those harder seasons of life that we have an tendency to use our trials as an excuse for sinning. That's why I think he lumps the two together. That's why I think trials and temptation are kind of connected at the hip. Hard and difficult seasons can often lead us to temptation's doorstep. Now, here's something that I've learned about myself over the years, and maybe it's the same for you, but I know it is for me. I've learned in my own life that I am at my most vulnerable moments of temptation when things just aren't going well. Now, I don't know if that's been your experience, but when I am most acceptable to temptation is when life just kind of stinks in the present moment. When, when things aren't coming together like you planned. Relationships get 
get, get hard and they get strained and, and, and people aren't happy and, and when, when things get difficult and, and things get tight and, and all of these things, and I've noticed about myself, that's when I'm the most susceptible to, to temptation. I've also learned, and I've prayed through this quite a bit, that when those seasons of difficulty come up in my life, and it happens to all of us, when those seasons of difficult things that come up in our lives, that's when we need to go to places like Ephesians and read through time and time again what it talks about, putting on the full armor of God. It's in those seasons. When the shields go up, they just shouldn't come down. But for some reason, I don't know why this is exactly, but in difficult times, we feel like we just drop our shields and be like, whatever. But that's when our shields should go up. The full armor of God should go on. At least that's been my experience. I think James knows this, and I think that's why he's writing about temptation right after he spends time talking about trials. Because for many of these Christians, life is just tough. Life is is hard, and I, and I think it's easy for them in this season uh, to blame other people, even to, to blame God. And James jumps right in. He's going to tackle some things. Now, I don't know if James is answering questions that he was asked. The text kind of feels like he's answering a laundry list of questions. Maybe he just instinctively knows that these are the topics and these are the issues that the church is dealing with during that time. And perhaps he had even heard that there were some Christians scattered around the area that are pointing the finger at God and saying, you did this to me. I'm suffering because of you. And that's different than saying, Lord, we suffer for you. There's a difference there. I think maybe there's some Christians that are just flat out, maybe even mad at God. And so James says, look at verse 13. He says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now let's not just blaze through this verse. What are the first two words? I think some of the most significant words in this verse. He says, when tempted. You know what he's not saying? He's not saying if. He never once says, hey, in the rare circumstance that your trials produce temptation. He's not saying, you know what, some people find that when life gets tough, temptation rises. No, he's not saying that at all. He says, when tempted, when tempted, it's going to happen to every single one of us. It has happened to every single one of us. He's acknowledging this very real truth. When tempted, it's going to happen. When tempted. I would think it would be a really nice world to live in where there was no temptation, don't you? Can you imagine what that would be like? To leave your house and not be tempted? Maybe that's what we have to look forward to in heaven where there is no sin, there is no temptation, there is no evil. It's, it's kind of hard to conceive a world like that. That's why the Bible says no one can really conceive what God has prepared for those that love him. But the simple truth is we are all tempted just as sure as trials will come to everybody eventually, I think James is saying you can be sure that temptation will come just as much as your trials will come. There's not one person who's exempt from it. There's not one place on this earth you can go to get away from temptation. And as long as we are living in these fleshly bodies, 
we will face temptation on some level. I've sometimes had these ridiculous thoughts. You know what? Maybe I could escape temptation if I like became a monk and moved to the Swiss Alps. But I'm fairly confident temptation would follow me there. You know, whether you're a businessman right here in Northwest Arkansas, or you're a housewife here in Bella Vista, or you're a student at the University of Arkansas, or you're an elder in this church, or you're like me who stands up here every day and preaches every Sunday, temptation affects all of us. Every last one of us faces temptation. No one is exempt. So James says, when tempted, and then he says this in the rest of verse 13, when tempted, no one should have this response. Nobody should draw this conclusion. God's doing this to me. God's tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Like I said, I think some of these Christians were having that response. And if we were being honest this morning, I think some of us have had those kind of responses too. God, why are you doing this to me? Why? You know, or when we fail, God, why'd you do that to me? And the reality is God didn't do it to you. Because God is not the source of evil and God can't be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone to do evil. I think what this is coming down to, what James is kind of hinting at here, is that what was prevalent in today, today's society, what is, is also prevalent in the first church way back when, is that we are always looking for somebody to blame besides ourselves. There's an epidemic in our society today where we don't want to take responsibility for anything. We don't want to own any of our actions. Everyone else is to blame. I, I tell you, I'm a dad with two young boys. I hear it constantly. It's not my fault. I didn't start it. Don't blame me. It's him. I see we have some parents in here today that can relate. Listen, I'll tell you, but it's human nature for some reason. Maybe it's our fallen human nature. It's always somebody else's fault. It's, there's always somebody else to blame. We see this from the very beginning. We already referenced the garden when sin introduced the world. But, but you know, after Adam and Eve had, had eaten the fruit that God told them not to eat, what did they do? The Bible says they ran off and they hid from God. And, and the Bible says that Adam and Eve, they heard God walking through the garden. And God says, where are you guys? I think it's a funny question. Of course God knew where they were. Here's Adam and Eve. They're, they're hiding from, from God and here's Adam. He said, he goes, well, I heard you coming in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? And then God says, did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? And of course, God already knew. But listen to what Adam says next. Adam starts to play the blame game. And he says, uh, that woman that you sent to me gave that to me. And men, we've been pulling that line out of our hat ever since. <laughs> God, is that woman you gave me? I didn't pick her. You picked her for me. And she, she did this to me. Adam blamed God. He flat out right here 
blames God for this nakedness and this separation that he is now feeling. He blames God first, and then he blames his wife Eve. But of course, we know, and God even told Adam, this is your fault. You succumb to temptation. And James makes something very clear in our text. Don't blame God for when we fail. Don't blame God for when we fail test and when we succumb to temptation. And so James is going to present an answer to a question we would naturally ask. Where does temptation come from? Where does this temptation come from? We know that it all started in the garden, but where does it come from today in our lives? Well, let me tell you, friends, and I hope you know this, but let me remind you in case you've forgotten or you just don't know. All of us in this room today, we have a common enemy, and his name is Satan. He's referred to in Scripture as the father of lives. He's called the deceiver, and he's got a whole host of other names. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus leaves for a while. He goes out into the wilderness after his baptism for 40 days and 40 nights, and he doesn't eat anything. He's fasting. And that's when Satan shows up, and the book of Matthew chooses a very interesting way of talking about Satan as he comes. It says, as Jesus was weakened, as he was tired, as he was hungry, the Bible says that's when the, and this is the word it uses, the tempter came. That's when the tempter came. We can read about all of his activities all throughout the pages of the Bible from the very beginning in the garden all the way to the very end. So when asking the questions about where does temptation come from, I can't leave Satan out of the discussion. But surprisingly, James does. And now listen, I could build a long case for how temptation comes into the world through Satan, how he's all active and his demons are active in, in this world trying to get us to fail. But James here, surprisingly, does not mention Satan at this point. Now, we're going to get deeper into the book of James in the weeks ahead, and you're going to see that James is not quiet about Satan. James has plenty to say about our enemy and, and more importantly, how we defeat this enemy. But right here in chapter 1, he leaves Satan out of the discussion. So who does James say is responsible for failing in temptation? Look at verse 14. He says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Did, did you hear that? James is saying that when we are tempted and when we fail, it's our own fault. It's our own fault. Regardless of, of where that temptation came from or, or maybe how much Satan had his hand in it. But at the end of the day, James is saying, you've got no one to blame except yourself. You can't blame God. You can't blame your friends. You can't blame your circumstances. You can't blame your childhood. You can't blame your boss. You can't blame this. You can't blame that. You blame yourself. It's your fault. That's what James says. Now, there's two phrases in this section and this these two verses that I want us to pay uh, close attention to they're actually hunting and fishing descriptions when talking about temptation see the first word if you look in your text it says dragged away so I want us to pay close attention to that 
phrase, dragged away. The second thing I want us to pay attention to is the word enticed. Enticed. Dragged away carries with it this, this idea of a, of a hunting trip. That a hunter would bait a trap. So like you go out into the woods and you lay a trap and then you bait it. And then you wait for some animal who just cannot resist that bait to come in and get trapped. That's what he means by dragged away. And then the second word, enticed, if you go back to the original Greek language, that word enticed literally means to bait a hook. It's a fishing illustration. So here we have this hunting and this fishing allusions to what James is talking about when he's talking about temptation. Now I'm, I'm going to make a guess here. Okay? I'm going to assume that the majority of us in here have at least one time in our lives dropped a fishing line in the water with a fishing pole. Is that a safe assumption? Have most of us done that? If you haven't, you, you kind of get what it's like, right? Okay, so imagine, if you will, that uh, we're going fishing, and there's only a certain way you're going to catch some fish. You got to pick the right kind of bait. So you might pick night crawlers, you might pick minnows, you might, you know, whatever, some kind of lure, your favorite lure. I, I don't know. It depends on what you're trying to catch. And then you go fishing and you drop the line in the water. And then here comes some fish casually swimming around doing, I don't know, whatever fish do. Because they just, everyone, what do fish do? They just swim endlessly. Sounds like a horrible life. <laughs> and then this fish who's swimming comes along this hook with, a, with some bait on it. And this fish looks, wow, that looks great. And at this point, the fish has to make this decision. Am I going to bite down on that or am I just going to keep swimming? And, and it's a real decision, I think, that, that this fish has to, to, to go through. Now, if the bait is correct, most of the time, if a hungry fish comes along, he will chomp down onto this bait, and we know what happens next. He becomes somebody's dinner. I, I remember one of the first times I ever went fishing, and I don't have a, a huge uh, a, a level of experience with fishing, but I was in college, and a buddy of mine said, let's go down the creek and go fishing. And so we had some poles. We dropped it in there, and I remember standing over this little river, and there was some logs in there, and my friend's like, just drop it right there. There's a fish under that log, and he'll come out eventually. And so I dropped the bait down there, and, I'll, and sure enough, this little fish, it swam out, and then it swam back in. It swam out, and then it swam back in. You're, you're learning fascinating things today. And <laughs> it swam out again, and I'm like, come on. Come on, you stinking fish. Bite that bait. <laughs> and then sure enough, eventually, the temptation was too great. And it grabbed it. And I yanked. And I think on this particular day, because it was pretty shallow water and I didn't have much line, I yanked so hard the fish went, boom, boom, right on the back. It's like, oh, I got it. Anyway. We threw him back. I don't know if he survived, but we threw him back. This is the image that James wants us to capture when he's talking about temptation in the text. See, because no animal is going to deliberately step on a baited trap. No, no animal would do that. No, no fish is going to, unless you're just a really skilled fisherman, is going to just bite down on a bare hook 
What are they really after? They're after the bait. And I'm telling you, temptation always carries with it bait. Something that is going to appeal to our natural desires. It's the bait that attracts us. But at the same time, that same bait is also what hides the truth that's lurking right behind it. You remember that. It's the bait that attracts, but it's the bait that also hides what's eventually going to come. You know, I'll tell you, if you look at the bait, and I'm think, talking, you know, in illustrative ways here, not physical bait, but I'm thinking, think about the bait that gets dropped in front of us all the time. The bait is exciting. The bait is dangerous. The bait is what is so attractive to us. And I, I think back in the Old Testament when, when Lot, he moved to Sodom, and I go, he would have never moved to Sodom had he not seen that the plains of the Jordan were well watered. It was the plains of the Jordan that, that was the bait. And it's all he needed to move close to Sodom. If you know Lot's story, he was eventually got into trouble because of the sinfulness of that city. I think about David. We, we mentioned him already one time when uh, he looked at his neighbor's wife. He would have never committed adultery. He would have never gone down that road. He would have never had this child out of wedlock that became sick and died. He would have never tried to cover up a murder. He would have never done those things if he could have looked past the bait and seeing the consequences of his actions. And I tell you, whenever you are faced with temptation, and again, it's not if, it's when, some of you right now, God's bringing stuff right to the front of your brain. When you're faced with temptation, I'll tell you what, one thing we've got to do is we have to get our eyes off the bait. We have to get our eyes off of that thing that looks so enticing and so delicious and so sensual. We've got to get our eyes off the bait, and we have to look past it, and see what it's hiding and the consequences of sin. Well, let's be honest. Sin is pleasurable. It's designed to be that way. So much so that people will risk their reputations. They'll risk their careers. They'll risk their, even their families just to have a little taste of it. You know, if that bait didn't look like something good to eat on the end of that hook, no fish would ever bite it. Temptation is just like that. But I want us as a church to remember this, and I would ask God to help us remember this in the moment of temptation, that no matter how pleasurable it looks, the enjoyment only lasts a very short time. You reap what you sow. And reaping and sowing temptation and all of that can be disastrous. Committing adultery and having premarital relationships may seem pleasurable at the time, but when the marriage is ruined because of it, when you only see your kids on the weekends because of it, in the end, the pain so outweighs debate running around with your friends and drinking on the weekends Matt sure sounds fun maybe doing some recreational drugs who's it gonna hurt but when you see those flashing blue lights behind you or 
your tree gets wrapped around a tree or your car gets wrapped around a tree and you suffer some very tragic losses in your life. I've dealt with families who walked that road. I promise you, it's not worth the bait. It's when sin looks so appealing to us. It's when pleasure looks so appealing to us. It's just dangling there. That's when we as Christians have to shield up and we got to look past the bait and we got to see what that bait is concealing. You know, we're not alone in this battle. I mean, talking about it this way, it sounds doom and gloom. But this is what the Lord tells us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation... Again, let's pay very close attention. No temptation, not, not anything. There's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Notice it says God didn't cause this, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And some of you are like, how much more can I take? But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. we got to remember this. There is a way out if our eyes are open. There is a way to swim around. There is a way to go underneath. There is a way to avoid the bait that's just dangling there. God will show you if you get your eyes off the bait. Oh, we can say a lot more. Let's look at verse 16. Let's wrap up our text this morning. James says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, and we might be, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. I tell you, we can't blame God for temptation because temptation doesn't come from God. But let me tell you what does come from God. Every good and perfect gift is from him. You know what's troubling about temptation? Is that it is so less, so much less than what God has already given. Now just think about this. Follow through. We see the bait dangling there. It looks so good in the moment. This, this, little, this little thing. And when our eyes are so fixated on that, we lose sight of all these good things that God has, has given to us. Let me give you another example from scripture let me, let me go back to david king david who who had the affair with bathsheba and, and all the trouble it was in that moment then there's a lot we could say about it but it was in that moment that david was just fixated on this little moment of pleasure he didn't see what was going to come and what he failed to recognize is all that god had given so that's what temptation does it just like laser focus on things that we forget now listen, when, 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 when Nathan came to confront David, he was speaking for the Lord. And, and listen to what he says to David. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. Now that right there is a lot, wouldn't you say? Like, like David, I did this for you. This good gift from heaven came to you by me. How could you? How could you think that this sin, this temptation was greater than that? And he goes on. 
I delivered you from the hand of Saul. If you read David's story, there are multiple times Saul wanted to kill him. And, and God protected That's a good gift from God. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And all of this, had it been too little, God says, I would have given you even more. But I'll tell you, when we fixate on the bait, it's so easy to lose sight of everything that God has already given to us. We got to look past the bait. We got to see where that leads. We got to see what the bait is concealing and not lose sight of what God has already given you. And are you willing to change or give up what God has given you? These good gifts for a, gifts for a moment of pleasure. Are you willing to do that? Many do. So the next time you're tempted, which soon, in those moments, if you can, we're going to pray about it just a minute. If you can, meditate on God's goodness. If you got to, think back to King David. Look at what God had already given him before he did that. Meditate on God. Think about the things that God has already given you. If you're fortunate enough to have a loving family, dwell on that. If you're fortunate enough to have a, a wonderful job, that you love, dwell on that. If you love where you live, dwell on that. Dwell on the things that God has given you. Start taking your eyes off the bait. Get on your knees and pray. Get on your knees and pray. God, please protect me in this moment. James is going to say this later in our text. We're going to get to it in a few weeks. But it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oh, I can't wait till we get there. That's enough. Oh, I always have more. Let's pray.